Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us. Please welcome John Michael McDonough and Brendan Gleason. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you in one piece here. Yeah. The uh, resurrection. The resurrection. <laughs> and I, I do want to acknowledge that we have two of the producers, the co-producers of the film, Lizzie Eves and Flora Fernandez, are, are here with us. So amazing work. Um, it's just, I just want to congratulate both of you. It's such a, a powerful, extraordinary film. And I just wanted to, I guess, start by asking you, I guess you started to work on the script around, around the time that you were working on The Guard together? What, you know, could you talk about what Yeah, um, I didn't go to film school, and basically post-production on The Guard was my version of film school. I mean, it was, <laughs> uh, there are lots of different edits of that movie, let's put it that way. It went on for a long time. And it went on so long that, you know, an idea Brendan and I had spoken about um, when we were f- in the last week of shooting in um, Connemara and, uh, on the guard, uh, I actually wrote the script because it had gone on so long, the post-production, which uh, <laughs> is good, though, because you got your next movie set up quite quickly. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, I was glad that um, the editing on Calvary went a lot smoother. I think the prolonged editing on the guard actually made me a better writer in a way i think i refined a lot of the things i was doing and very pre- i was a lot more precise second time around let's put it that way could you could you talk a bit about where this impulse came from i mean the idea of having you know as as um, one of the characters says in the films um, it would be interesting to have a, fi- a good priest as a character you know we've been used to seeing a number of films with bad priests yeah <laughs> i think the, the first impulse was to make a film about a good person Mm. And then I just I just thought there'd be more movies coming out, you know, dealing with all the scandals, and there'd be a lot of those films that were about bad priests. And the intention was to um, do the exact opposite. Um, so that's that's where it all came from. Well, you know, there's not that many movies made about genuinely good people. They're usually conflicted in some way, or you know, a lot of movies the villain drives the story. You know, um, I mean, you could say in this, you know. Um, the good man reacts to what all those uh, eccentric supporting characters are doing to him. So you could say they drive the narrative and he responds to it, I suppose. And could you talk about how you work together? I mean, my understanding was that you, were, you, were, you read the script very early on and were actually involved in developing it somewhat. So could you, which is, I think, unusual for, for an actor and director to work like that together. Yeah, um, well, we'd kind of chatted about the notion of this. We had a common interest in it, and we loved working together on the guard. It was, you know, it was a good collaboration, and um, so we were anxious to kind of do something together again. So it was great. John, you know, uh, sent me the first draft, which was, which is, you know, fantastic to get, and it was very moving. And um, I knew it was there. That you know, that it was exquisite already, and there were a few things that I had, that I felt maybe I knew this guy possibly through, particularly through, hmm. you know, Kelly Riley's, uh, the, through the daughter, that I felt I knew him most through that, and she disappeared a little bit early. Um, In the original draft, when she leaves, we don't see her again. Okay. Yeah. 
So it was that. So there was. Some, I just said. I just gave whatever tuppence halfpenny worth I had, and then. So that's it. Kind of. So he took it from there and 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 did what was needed. And so by the time the script came in its completion, I uh, we I kind of knew we, we I, I kind of knew who I was dealing with in 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 a sense, you know. We developed. It became more emotional. I mean, this, the sort the scenes was there and the basis of the characters were there, but uh, I think the scene with Kelly in the confessional that that was added. I think the big scene where they have their reconciliation on the cliff face was there, but I think it was expanded upon. She's there at the end that the phone call was put in as well, which obviously you see the film now, you think, how could, it, how could that never have been there? But it wasn't in the first draft. Hmm. It's just I, I, re- I realised, shouldn't he say goodbye to somebody when Brennan was saying there should be more scenes with Kelly or I kind of miss her when she's gone. Yeah. I thought, yeah, okay, he'll ring her as a way of bringing her back. Uh, I this is sort of a big question, but I just want to hear more about the impulse to to make this film. And we, we've seen if, um, films that deal with very specific um, crimes um, committed by the Catholic Church, and they're you know they're they're this is is like larger than that. This is really taking a large view, and it's a film that I think applies to not just the Catholic Church. If you look at what's going on in the world, it seems to be getting more relevant by the day. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, I'm, I'm not a big fan of movies where the director has a political point he wants to make and he creates the film based on that political point. Um, I think that leads to bad art, to be honest. Um, I always start with the characters first and then try to think of an interesting plot. Whatever comes out of that, whatever the subtext are, if you've got a good story, there's always going to be lots of sort of symbolic or metaphorical elements to it. And obviously the actors are going to find you know those kinds of scenes that have different subtexts to them but the starting point should always be create good characters and create a good plot really yeah yeah i mean to me the the you know the the only hope i had when it came out because i kind of knew once i saw it in its final you know incarnation that i knew it was a good film it's never proven until an audience is there but the one thing i hoped was that it would have a universality that was beyond catholicism and beyond irishness and the irish situation at the present time like to me it's about i know when i was doing it i felt very compromised about this idea of you know the reason for optimism and the, the duty in a way to maintain optimism in the face of um all available evidence, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like that to believe in humankind of itself is what's at issue, and that, you know, whilst, whilst the people that are there um, have very extreme viewpoints about, about very specific things, the common problem is that nobody trusts anything in authority, so that the moral leadership has been corrupted and has uh, failed people, and people feel betrayed by it. So it felt to me that that's, that was what was at issue. It was far more central to anything that's you know specific yeah and uh, could you talk at all about the tone or or the style of the film i mean it has first of all it's a very it feels very literary i mean it almost you almost think it was adapted from something but yeah it wasn't. Someone, <laughs> someone suggested they thought it could be a play and i thought it, it should be grand opera rather than a play yeah. Um, I I find uh, you know I think of myself as a failed novelist I wrote four or five (laughs) bad novels that never were published so I think it has I think in my screenwriting there's a novelistic quality to it um, rather than a theatrical quality I think you know all those supporting characters are very rich I think you know you could kind of follow Aidan Gillen's atheistic doctor into his own movie, you know, or you could make a movie about how Chris O'Dowd's character got to the place he was in, you know. Um, so I think it's dense in that way. Um, 
tonally, I don't think about tone when I'm writing because it just sort of smacks to me of censorship. If you you know, if you're thinking that way, uh, it's only when I get to the editing where. Again, I don't really think of, is this scene gone too far? Is it too aggressive or confrontational? I think in terms of, you know, have we had too many really dark scenes in a row? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so maybe I'll shift them around a bit and have a little bit of light relief, if there is any light relief in the movie. <laughs> uh, so I only think about tonally in that way, you know. Um, I think, you know, I think when a lot of filmmakers are making movies, especially probably with the studios, and they get notes about tone, um, it's it's... I mean, what is tone? You can be having a good time at a party and you get a call saying your grandmother's died. You know, that happens in real life, but we never see that in movies because yeah. the executive gives notes saying that's tonally wrong. You right. know? <laughs> so I try to put all that uh, to the back of my mind and not go along with it, really. You had a palette, though. I mean, you had a, you had a palette in terms of the Andrew Wyatt thing, which does strike... Like, there was a... F- there was yeah, a- visually, uh, uh, the images are based on Andrew Wyatt's paintings, so, you know, you have a lot of... Um, the priest world is kind of very black and white there's lots of frames within frames and all that kind of thing you have those big swooping helicopter shots so there's it's a it's it goes from really widescreen to real claustrophobia so that was the, that was the visual sort of tone and could you talk a bit just about your your work it's an amazing amazing performance and so much of it has to do with reaction you know with 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 reading what's going on i mean there's a lot to work with verbally but there's so much about reaction well, what I liked about him was that he had both. You know, he was somebody who could listen, but he could listen with empathy. You know, and I thought a lot about it afterwards because I found the actual shoot quite a trial, to be honest with you. I almost went in and punched one of the actors. <laughs> he was like, getting, I get, you get so fed up with people abusing you day in, day out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in the role, in the role. In the role, in the oh, role, no, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. That, partic- that particular actor does it in real life <laughs> as well. He wasn't talking about, he remor- wasn't talking you, about you. He yeah. remorseless, you know, <laughs> you are, you know, and relentless. And, uh, but, uh, you know, if you, if you were doing it in real life, you know, you, can, you have a professional detachment that you have to maintain in order to put up with this sort of stuff. Any professional you, in, in this... This man has got, like, seven days to live, so he, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't want a professional detachment... And he commits to it, to you know, to trying to explore and to absorb other people's pain in that last seven days. So it was very, you know, it was it, there were an awful lot of it was about absorbing people's suffering, people's pain. But what I liked about the thing and what makes John's writing so exhilarating is that he also had a he was a force of nature. He was very, very front foot when he needed to be, and he didn't suffer fools gladly. And anybody that he thought was posturing. He sliced them immediately mm. and cut away the nonsense yeah. so that it wasn't, you know, it's, it was a gift of a role in that way. It, of course, you had to absorb, but he wasn't just somebody, you know, who lay there and took it all. You know, he kind of bit back a little bit, and that was exciting. I think, you know, we've spoken about it, it was sort of partially influenced by Bresson's Diary of a Country Piece, but when we went back and looked at that movie, I mean, the the priest in that is a little bit of a, a wuss, really. He just yeah. he just takes on board everything and doesn't do anything about it. He just sit, <laughs> sits in his room moaning. I mean, basically. Yeah, being holy, you know? Being holy and moaning. <laughs> you would have been so much better in that movie. <laughs> okay, well, we should re- remake that. Yeah, well, there you go. Maybe we did. Um, you work with your son. Can you tell us um, who your son is in the film and, and, and what that scene was like? Um, Donal. And um, w- my son was the 
cannibal serial, serial killer. killer cannibal. Um, we found ourselves yet again at a table <laughs> <laughs> discussing lunch. Uh, <laughs> Uh, sorry, I don't mean to be trite, but, uh, but uh, it was weird. We just didn't talk. We talked a lot about it, and then um, we sort of went our separate ways about a week before. We had rehearsed and read with John, you know, and then we, we found we weren't helping each other, really. We both had different perspectives, obviously. Uh, and he went into a very particular place that was very different. You know, the hair thing, that's not his, his hair colour, that... Mm. kind of mm, odd kind of haircut and things like that and he went into all that thing so we kind of separated for a week beforehand mm. and came out basically fighting and uh, it was a very intense day uh, very intense day I, I, like, I, I was very glad to get him back I'll put it that way but I'm very proud of it the fact that he gave as good as he got you know yeah. My brother Martin was there on that day. That was the only day he showed up for filming, and he, he hadn't read the script, and he turned to me and said, I thought you said this was a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in my mind, it was always a comedy. I don't know how it's turned out like this. Uh, your brother, by the way, who directed In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths, so interesting family you have. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'll, I'll be the more interesting member of the family than my brother. Could you talk about... The, um, the structure of the film is great. I mean, the dramatic structure, the just starting, you know, the way that you set up that you know what's going to happen, and then then you're sort of throughout the whole film figuring out who will. It's not a who done it, but who's who's going to do it. Yeah. So um, I know there's a well, little I had bit that structure. There's also a kind of hidden structure. It's there's um, it's based around the five stages of grief, right? Um, denial, bargaining, anger, um, depression, and acceptance. So that there was a loose structure to that. And yeah, you also have the uh, I guess they call it the ticking clock. You know, the, the countdown of the seven days or whatever. Um, and it has that kind of episodic structure where you're meeting all the suspects, I suppose. So there was, yeah. I, I wrote it quite quickly because I had all those sort of ideas in mind when I sat down, you know. And the Hitchcock film, I confess, was that in your yeah, mind? Yeah, that's one of my favourite Hitchcocks. It's not really, doesn't seem to be written about as much as a lot yeah. of the others, but I always liked it. Uh, I want to open it up to the audience, but I just wanted to ask you about one thing because we, uh, I was telling you before we came on that the film that we showed right before this today was The King of Comedy, the Scorsese film, and that was an important film to you. I, which I didn't know. Yeah, I mean, I used to watch a lot of films when I, was a kid, when I was a kid. That was the first film where I started to get that there is somebody behind the movie who's called the director. And I, is when I also got that there are that some actors are better than other actors. Let's put it that way. That's when it first became yeah. clear to me. I think it was because the, the movie kind of bombed, didn't it, when it first came out? So when it was, it was, I saw it at the cinema, and then it was on, it was on like Channel Four immediately. It seemed to be within a few weeks, I guess, because it didn't do well. They right. just did a quick sale or whatever. Yeah. So I was able to see the movie quite uh, about three times, I think, in the space of two months. So yeah, it was a big influence. Hmm. Okay, go ahead, right over here, and I'll repeat the question. So. What was the reason why the daughter saw the killer in jail? Uh, why did the daughter see the killer in jail? Well, you know, people can come up with their own reasoning. The reasoning for me is that she's taken on board her father's um, discussions about forgiveness. And um, he doesn't, to me, he doesn't die because his ideals have lived on in her, basically. Uh, you know, does she forgive him or not? It's a part of the beginning of a process, probably. I wouldn't say she already, she already forgives him, but she's willing to communicate with him. So, yeah, you know. it was very, I have to say, for me, that's, that was a huge thing. Uh, when I saw the film, I found it very affecting because 
um, you know, you, you felt that compassion was still alive. And the whole film is a quest in a way, for me it was anyway, um, you know, to maintain that faith uh, in compassion. And that at the end, I think too is an interesting thing about whether in the edit, um, at one point there was a thing about on the other side. Uh, in, 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 the, in an early draft, he doesn't pick up the phone. Yeah. And I, as we came to shoot it, I decided that was, that was taking nihilism a bit too far. I thought, <laughs> he would, I thought I'd give the audience a modicum of hope at the end. <laughs> okay, right over here. Okay, yeah, the town. Well, can you talk about the town where you filmed it in? Which, um, aside from you, it's not usually used for film. And and then the casting. M. Emmett Walsh. It was great to see him on screen. Yeah, on, on both the guard and um, Calvary, I'm trying to get away from Dublin, basically. So I'm trying to. I'm from Dublin. <laughs> I'm trying to get away from Dublin and Dublin people. <laughs> um, <laughs> Up the dogs. I welcome confrontations. So you can boo as much as you like. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I was, you know, the guard was. I was trying to show Galway and, and this one I was trying to show, show Sligo. The, you know, the reference in the movie to surfing and we have cutaways of surfers, that's all genuine. It is a big surfing destination, strangely enough. Um, it's where my mother was from, Eastgate. Um, uh, and we used to go there for summer holidays, so I knew all the locations. I kind of like to have that in my mind uh, um, to set... Uh, scenes in specific places, you know, so that was always going on. I knew it was, you know, it was just a landscape we hadn't really seen before. M.M. at Walsh was just, you know, this is one of those things, you know, a character actor I'd always loved for years and years and years. And my wife had seen him in Damages, I think he was in recently. And she said, What about him? And you think, Well, <laughs> unless you ask these people you don't know if they'll do it or not you know <laughs> and he just said yes you know it's the same with you know larry smith the cinematographer who's you know who's done eyes wide shut um and nicholas winning reference films you know before i worked with them on the guard i thought oh it'd be great to get somebody like that but they'll probably never do it but unless you ask them you don't know and you know larry said yes michael emmett as he calls himself uh yeah he was a wonderful presence <laughs> on <laughs> set was. let's put it that way i think he traveled around ireland for a while before he got to the set um, yeah, very, very nice man. <laughs> what did he say to me? He said when he first arrived, uh, I've just met your wife. You, uh, you have great taste. I wish I could say the same for her. <laughs> that was, that was the... And I, I, then I'd mentioned in Bruges, I said, oh, you know, my brother uh, made that film. And he said, yeah, he's the successful one in the family, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm only doing this movie to get to him. <laughs> He said to me then, he went up, he, he, he dropped me a note, and he, after we finished in Sligo, he dropped me this note, and he said, I made my way up to Dublin eventually. He said, I mentioned your name in every restaurant, paid full price. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right over here. Go ahead. Um, what makes the movie work so Did you have that schematic rhythm 
in your head before the movie was being shot, or did that sort of just happen as you had certain sequences and you said, well, maybe they're not going to work as well this way, so I'll back in and, and you end up backing into that type of sequence. But the bottom line is just magnificent. Thank you. Uh, in, the, uh, in the writing of the script, I knew it, had, it was episodic, and I knew certain scenes didn't necessarily have to follow one after another. Be- you know, the way the narrative was set up, it's not so plot-driven that one scene has to follow another. So I knew I had, um, once I'd come to the post-production doing the editing, I knew I had kind of room to breathe. Um, for instance, the, the scene with Kelly Riley in the confessional in the script, that, the, the scene with Donal followed directly on from that and I thought well pff, it's two really dark heavy scenes in a row that then they're sort of similar you know they're both kind of confessional so I yeah so I deliberately shifted them around and put a sort of lighter scene if you take it that way in between and what I've discovered I mean that's just pure you know that's just going by instinct I wouldn't say there's a big over uh, overly intellectual uh, overview of the whole thing but what what discovered then when we started screening the movie was the humour lasted longer than I was expecting into the film. I thought by the halfway point when we have the scene with Donald, it would kind of die out, really. And I think what it is is that people want some kind of uh, uh, relief from the heaviness, so they're willing to laugh longer than I actually expected. Um, but I think that was just instinct or chance, really. I, I had no overriding uh, um, meaning to do that other than myself sitting there you know in the editing suite going boy we've just had three really dark scenes in a row maybe i should lighten this up a little bit you know <laughs> did you did you film in sequence i mean just to keep the emotional no yeah, it's all could. chopping around you can't yeah. really do that on the budget we had yeah, yeah. and we only had a 29 day schedule so you know mm. it was yeah, wow. it was pretty intense had all the whole beat scene the whole beach scene at the end was done in the first week. Yeah, so we, we well, got yeah we had the conclusion, but in a way that sort of, it was a really intense week and really tiring and everything and sort of emotionally exhausting. But once it was done, you know we we kind of relaxed a bit because we knew we've got we got the end of the movie. Yeah, we had someone to head towards and we had a frame a framework in place. Hmm. We knew it was solid. What had happened, you know, we, you can feel it that it's working. So it's, it was quite reassuring. It was a tough week though. I mean, the original schedule was 27 days, and once we got through that first week and got, got the, uh, the ending finished, we were given an extra two days. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, anybody? I can't really see hands in the back, but go ahead. But. It kind of comes, it follows on for all those, obviously all the scenes are the scenes where we saw the priest with his daughter. So it's kind of reminded the audience of what's been lost, I suppose. You know, whether, whether his daughter forgives the killer or not, a human being has died and he's gone, he'll never be there again. It was also, you know, when I got all those shots of Ben, Bulb, ben Bulban and it becomes such a brooding presence in the movie, it became this overriding feeling of, you know, Ben Bulban does not care about our petty concerns that mountain will be there after we're all gone and so it was that kind of <laughs> brooding uh, darkness to the movie uh, that i wanted uh, just on a purely ple- pleasurable thing i always like things happening in an end credit sequence you know i like pre-credit sequences as well so i'm always trying to do that i think in the guard you know we go off and we see all the other actors and do that kind of stuff um so i, I just 
you know, I hate movies that go straight into just a long uh, list of credits. I hate films that open up with um, shots. You know, it's like it's set in Boston, so we get we get a, a flight over Boston. It's like, who cares? For God's sake, you know, start the movie, start the bloody movie. I don't want to see Boston, you know. But they do it all the time for some reason. They love all those. That see, shit. John always arrives at a movie on time. <laughs> Well, you sure um, get right to the point with the opening line in this film, right? <laughs> was that always the f- how the film that started? That was the intention, yeah. Don't arrive late for this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Over here. Yeah, um, speaking about the violence at the end of the movie, um, I did, sh- you know, I shot it, um, uh, but you know, both ways, slow motion and normal time or whatever. And it felt when we cut it uh, in normal time, it's it felt it was too quick. It felt like you know we've watched this man all through the movie and now he's dead in a split second, which I guess that's what that's what violence is like in real life. But I did, I just it didn't feel sort of weighty enough and obviously once you've made that decision and then you're showing it from four different angles you know you, it, it is literally overkill i suppose um <laughs> i mean you know if we want to be re- realistic about violence you know that gun would actually blow that man's head apart you know but so i don't go that far which you know some filmmakers may say well you should go that far because that's what the reality of violence is so in a way, it's sort of even people who think that might be too violent as it is to me, it's not violent enough, really. Um, but I just, I'm just not interested in making that type of a movie. So it's, I was trying to be realistic up to a point. But yeah, it was the reason it's there was just because I felt a man's life had uh, been snuffed out and it was gone and it was nothing. So it was just to prolong that that moment. Okay, down here. Yeah, um, I think it's a Peruvian band, and it, um, what's being said in the lyrics is about a character who's um, going up to the mountains to die because the air is fresh and clean up there. So basically, even the even the song at the end is about death. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you know, so the whole film's been about death, and so is the final song. Um, Los Chiriguanos, they're called, and the song's called Subo. I did that came to me very very late. I found it in a, a John Voight movie um, from 1970, directed by Charles Eastman, uh, a very obscure movie, and it was, it was actually at the start of the film, and it just, it, we were right in the middle of trying, you know, I'd been trying to find a song to end it for ages, and I just saw this in this film. Hmm. The American Boy, I think it was called. Yeah. Okay, right down here. Were there any, so just, um, were the, <laughs> maybe the, church, the Catholic Church had the dog. No, no. Did you have any reactions from, religious, from the religious perspective that were interesting? And then he wants to know who killed the dog. 
Um, no reaction officially from the church or anything like that. Um, one, the, the actor, Gary Lydon, who plays the policeman, who's with the, the gay hustler or whatever, he went to um, Mass and um, the priest recognised him and shook his hand and then gave a sermon saying everyone should go to see the movie. That's an individual priest, I guess. I think probably, you know, the priest is a hero, really, so I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't say, say they'd be too against it. And I guess, you know, Pope Francis and all that now, they're trying, to, they're trying to talk it through and communicate about everything that's happened, not brush it away or try to hide like they've been doing for so many years. Um, let's say a lot of the interviews we've been doing, let's say with Christian-based organisations, have all been pretty intelligent and they take it on board for what it yeah, is. Yeah, we did an Episcopalian priest um, the other day uh, on, a, on a phone interview and he... He said it just it all seemed terribly familiar to him, which mm. was kind of reassuring for us uh, in terms of the confessional nature and the way people would basically dump, um, you know, their angst and their pain and all the rest of it, and that he, he found it kind of inspirational. So yeah, and he, th- he yeah. thought it should be shown at Sunday school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whatever. I thought, maybe a bit too far. <laughs> um, the dog... Um, <laughs> Who killed poor Bruno? Uh, <laughs> the, after Bruno is killed, uh, there's the next big major scene where all the characters are together. They're in a bar. They're in a bar. And one of the characters has a bandage on his hand, implying that the dog bit him uh, when he killed it. Uh, but, you know, you'll have to watch the film again. To <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll run it again and after you leave. <laughs> okay. Uh, up in the middle there? Yeah, about the same. <laughs> I, I don't really sort of believe in catharsis in a way. Uh, I think people are the same at the end of a movie as they are at the beginning. I mean, that's just me being negative. I don't know. Um, I mean, a lot of the times you're writing scenes and you, it's, uh, you watch the film later on and you say, oh, that's what I meant. You know, sometimes, you, again, maybe this is just me, but, you know, if a scene is good, obviously it will have meanings above and beyond what you intended as well, because it will mean something to other human beings that it might not mean to me. Um, but I definitely wanted to make a film that was unironic, you know, in the sense of the lead character. I'm getting a bit sick and tired of ironic movies. And I wanted to, I did want to end on. However bleak and somber the film is, I did want to end on hope. Really, I didn't want to make a negative film. Yeah, I mean, it was for me. It was it. It was very important. I, I you know, I think art is to make or allows people to feel less alone. And for me, a lot of what I found myself expressing in that part had to do with a kind of humility and a kind of generosity of spirit that, say, my mother's generation, it would have been more clear cut in. I had a particularly good Christian brother in primary school, for example. Uh, I had an aunt who was a nun in South Africa who was the most cosmopolitan person that I had ever met, warm-hearted, warm-spirited. And there was a kind of a beauty in their faith which, um, you know, I think needed to... For me, it was, I, was, it was, I was delighted to express it with a genuine... Uh, you know, with a genuineness. And so that, you know, there was also the idea that when this is gone... You know, and a lot of rejection of the Catholic Church or faith or whatever is happening, that 
you've got to be careful about what, well, what is going to replace that. What belief system is going to happen? Where does the humanity or the humanism come into it where you believe that human beings are worthy of compassion and generosity? And so for me it was a very significant film that way. I did feel cleansed by it in a way, or encouraged at least, that there's a fight out there that's worth fighting. I mean, to be honest, uh, you know, ha- having made the film, the whole thing about you know forgiveness has been highly underrated. In a way, that did influence me. I, you know, I'm I hold grudges quite badly. <laughs> you may have sensed that from me, but uh, <laughs> and uh, I went out drinking with one of the actors. He, we'd been drinking for a few hours. He, he'd been drinking sake and bourbon. Uh, and he, he went crazy, and he ended up punching me in the neck twice. Um, uh, and, you know, in the old days, maybe before this film, I would, I would have never spoken to him again, but I thought, you know, you've made a film about forgiveness. <laughs> maybe, you should, maybe you should forgive the guy. So I did. <laughs> so anybody, if you get into a fight on the way home, remember there's always tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll just take uh, one or two more. So, anybody else? Or right back there. When he's in bed, the priest is in bed, I mean, after the fight and everything, and there's like a, a short sequence of him walking with his daughter. And was, it, was it a dream? Yeah, it was in this. Uh, that's a good point, because in the script, it, that was meant to be a scene that early on. Uh, when he looks back, there was, there was a cutaway, and we see that somebody is watching them, uh, but we don't know who. The scene never really worked. Also, he finds what we don't. He uh, it was meant to be that he finds a dead bird that's covered in maggots. So, and it just the scene never seemed to work. But I loved the. It had a, it has a really cold blue look to it, a very dark blue look. And I kind of liked it, and I thought, I wanna, I'd like to save the scene in some way. And I just woke up one day and thought, well, you know, if you cut out the pigeon, it, it becomes a dream. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and people can read into it wherever they want to read into it. So I was able to save the scene and come up with some bullshit intellectual rationalisation <laughs> for it. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I mean, you could still possibly... It could still possibly be cut, but I just felt it goes from him washing his hands in the sink with the bloody knuckles to him waking up, and I felt it gives it a, just a bit of a moment of, like, what, even if it's just, what the hell is that about? And then we cut to him waking up. It's like, yeah, it's a nightmare. It's something he's dwelling on. It's in the back of his mind. Just, I just it felt it kind of fulfilled a kind of a pause moment, and that's, that's kind of the reason I kept it. There was it. also the thing about, you know, the myth of, of that uh, stone crushing uh, Fiona, you know there was a terror in it. He, it felt to me. I always loved that. Uh, oh yeah, there, that's sorry, it. that's right. There was more when she speaks about the split rock and it crushing. We actually had scenes of Kelly. You know, there was meant to be a sequence of her inside the rock and all that kind of thing. I thought that was <laughs> kind of prolonging the nightmare too much, so we just sort of pared it down. Yeah, but it was very real in terms of. His terror, where he could see the, you know, the whole thing was beginning to crush him and crush everything that he loved. Um, so it, it's something that, you know, you can be flippant about it and everything else. But for me, it was, it was, a, it was a very real horror he was walking into, and it's I don't know whether subliminal or whatever, um, kind of works for me. Mm, yeah, I'm just gonna take one more. Go ahead. Another way 
Well, obviously, he was setting it up with the gun because you don't know what he's going to do with the gun. Yeah. Um, but it was always, I mean, when I sat down, the priest was always going to die and he was never going to uh, defend himself violently. So that I always had that. Um, the only thing, I, I didn't have who the killer was going to be until I was two-thirds of the way through writing the script. So I only decided... So he's never going to live. <laughs> he's never going to live. <laughs> no matter what I said to him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, fight for uh, fight for what to live no no I, I, <laughs> uh, no I, funnily enough my uh, you know as I, we said we shot that the first week and I did for the most part even after the first shot feel uh, Chris O'Dowd's pain of all of those things that came through mm. to me I kind of that was what was so exhilarating about knowing that that was in the can. I knew that you know that one of the m- things in this movie is that child abuse is a life sentence, and that there was no sense of blame really at all after that shooting. I, it wasn't blame; blame wasn't what was appropriate, you know. So that was a kind of a big revelation to have and to have done in the in the first in the opening week. Okay. Well, uh, you've created really an extraordinary character and performance and, and thank, thank you. you so much both of you thanks, thanks everybody very much thank you cheers thank you for listening the pinewood dialogues at museum of the moving image are made possible by generous support from the pannonia foundation to learn more about the museum visit www.movingimage.us